Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. And so the sermon this morning, what about the Church of Christ reconciled in one body? Reconciled in one body. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, scrolling down to verse 11, I'm going to actually uh, read today out of the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version uh, is a little bit different than the first version of that, which was the Revised Standard. Um, when it was the Revised Standard before they made the new version, it was uh, one of the mainline scriptures that most seminaries allowed a student to use. Today, uh, there are typically only two, uh, the New American Standard Version as well as the English Standard Version. Uh, the New Revised, some still allow it, but there were some liberties taken with certain uh, phrases and pa passages in Scripture, so it's not considered a full direct translation uh, as the other two are, but still some seminaries allow it. And to be honest with you, sometimes I really like it. Uh, it it's easier to read in some manner, and it's, it's really good. But anyway, anyway, in this particular passage, I like the way it's used. It doesn't detract uh, from what was typically meant there. So uh, follow with me in Ephesians 2, uh, beginning at verse 11. Listen to these words. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace. In His flesh, He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with His commandments, commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So He came and proclaimed peace to you, who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, dear friends, as I read this passage, it struck me that reconciliation is kind of a big deal to God. And so, several important questions arise as we look at this passage. First, why do we need reconciliation? Remember that. Secondly, how did the reconciliation actually happen? I mean, I think that's something we should be able to answer. Thirdly, where did it happen? 
and who among us actually needs it, okay? Those are good questions to ask, and the passage tells us about it, so we want to look at it. But I would start today by asking you a question. First off, who among you likes being on the outs with anybody? Probably no one. In fact, you know, you've heard the phrase, if mama isn't happy, ain't nobody happy in that household, right? And there's some truth to that. But I think you could say that if papa's not happy, the same thing can happen, you know? And let's face it, no family that I know of, regardless of who you are in it, wants to uh, have a distance or enmity between one another. Even when your kids aren't speaking to you, you don't like that. So we don't like to go through life with something between us and someone else. It's just something we don't like. Some people can tolerate it better than others, but generally, no one likes to know that someone doesn't like them or is upset with them or angry with them or has animosity toward them. Usually, we're built with this desire to fix it, to make it right in some manner, even if we don't admit it. Now, here's another thing that's very interesting, and it's a sermon for another day, but the reason that you want to do that is because Christ built you that way. God built you with the desire to reconcile, first to Him and then through Him to one another. So remember that. And that's why we have this desire not to be on the outs with people. But I want to go back and look at this passage and then ask a couple of questions and try to answer them. First of all, why do humans need reconciliation? Now, I don't mean why do we have a desire for it? Why do we, why do we need to do it for our own self? I mean, why was it necessary for us to be reconciled to God. Now, that's, that's a fair question, okay? But it's also a question that I think shouldn't really have to be asked and answered because it's already been asked and answered. I shouldn't have to stand here and tell you why. Neither should any of you have to ask the question why because as a Christian, you should know why. Yet, I think it's very possible that some Christians don't know why. And so, I think we need to look at it. Because it's still a question that even Christians are going to have. And there is a reason. You see, most people determine good and evil, right and wrong, saved and unsaved, by their own interpretation. Now, let that sink into your brain pan just for a minute. Most people determine right and wrong, right? Saved or unsaved. and good and evil in their own understanding, their own interpretation, what they think it is. And yet, this is dangerous because the long and short of it is that God is the one who determines all of those things. He always has. God determines good and evil. God determines whether you're saved or not. God determines whether you're right or wrong or not. We, we tend to try to take that role, but that's not ours to take. God determines that, okay? He's also the one that determines everything else. Just like we learned last week, if one is saved, they are automatically part of God's church, and humankind cannot add people to the church. Why? Because only God can do that, and He does it immediately upon an individual's salvation. That's just the way it is. Now, whether you attend a local church or not is up to you, but you're part of His church. And if you refuse to be part of a local church, then God's going to call into question whether or not you're actually saved. Because the Bible says, in order to be a saved person and a disciple of Christ, you must be part of a fellowship in Christ. And so those who are at home and stay at home and say, well, I don't need to go to a church and be part of a fellowship. I can just watch a TV preacher and, and that'll be good enough. No, it's not. 
And if you, you know, again, there, there's going to be some people who's going to say to me, well, that's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. The Scripture says that that's true. Now, you can interpret it in any way you want. But again, however you interpret it, understand this. God is going to determine whether you were right or not. <laughs> so it always goes back to Him anyway. I would rather err on the side of caution and say, well, if the Scripture says it, it's coming from God, that's what He said, I'm going to abide by it. And that's what probably we all should do. But this brings us to another point. Only God determines salvation. Right? I mean, it, can we determine salvation? No, we can ask for it. And we can, in our minds, think we're saved or not. And we can look at others and determine if we think they're saved or not. But in the end, only God can decide whether or not someone is saved or not. So we have to remember that. Now, we're going to get into that more in a few minutes, but you're going to have to keep an open mind about this because, again, even Christians try to determine whether people are saved or not. Again, only God can do that. And to have a good idea about someone, including ourselves, we have to look at a person's complete obedience to the Scripture because that's really the only way to know for sure. Is that person completely obedient to Scripture? And guess what? It starts with you. It starts with me. So if I'm the individual that wants to determine if I'm saved or not, look at the Scripture. Am I obedient? Look at that person. Is that person obedient to the Scripture? And if they aren't, then there's a good indication that something's wrong with their salvation or it's not there. So that's the only indication that we have. And still, God still determines it. Amen? So remember that. A second thing we have to understand is that mankind was separated from God as a result of sin. Sin separated mankind from God. Isaiah 59 says so. Romans 3, 22 and 23 say so. All of us understand what that says, okay? Now, these passages tell us that sin separated us from God, and no one, no one is exempt, not even newborn infants, okay? Did you hear me? Even newborn infants are not exempt. Newborn infants are separated from God because of sin in the world, because of sin who, which entered into Adam and into mankind. Now, our human thought process says, well, they're not old enough to have done anything yet. It doesn't matter. They still are separated and need to be reconciled to God. Now, there's a process by which that happens. And yes, age of reason has a lot to do with it. And yes, in my opinion is they're exempt from that all the way up to that point. But still... The fact remains that God is clear that they have to be reconciled and no one is exempt, period. Now, of course, there's going to be many that's going to argue this point, and they're going to, again, use their human understanding and their human logic to do so. Yet God says all have sinned, period. And yes, it means both Jews and Gentiles have done so. So remember that as well. Now, friends, here's another uh, couple things we need to understand. What sins have people committed? I mean, you know, I mean, that's a question because, because I know in our, in our judicial system, there are certain punishments that are stronger for one thing and they're lighter for something else. But God doesn't do that. God says sin is sin, it's punishable by death, period. Now, you would say, well, a traffic infraction shouldn't carry a death penalty, and rightfully so. But we're not talking about human infractions and human uh, humans breaking the law. We're talking about God's law. And God says, sin is sin. It doesn't matter how deep or how strong or how big a sin you think it is, it still separates you from God. And every single sin that separates you from God, unless it's reconciled, results in eternal death. Period. Again, 
in our humanness, we don't want to believe that because we try to use human logic to transpose it over God's law, and we cannot do that. So that's where we have to look in this particular uh, idea here. And so in, in we find in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, look what he says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit which is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God didn't play games here. I mean, this is what he says. Then they aren't my words, are his. So that's what I'm trying to say. You see, God has spoken. <laughs> and when God speaks, you know, people ought to listen. Remember the, the commercial uh, a number of years ago when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Now, I don't know if E.F. Hutton is even in business anymore. Uh, they were a financial advisor. In fact, I think they got absorbed into Edward Jones or something. But either way, the fact of the matter is, it, it, it was a, when E.F. Hutton speaks and people will go, and they would listen. It was a catch, you know, to get you to use E.F. Hutton as your financial advisor. Friends, when God speaks, we need to shut up, quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and listen. Because if we don't, here's what's going to happen. The other chatter that's coming in the other ear from the enemy is going to make us believe that we can compromise what God is saying or tune him out and mix the two or just flat out not listen to God and listen to the one that seems better to us. Cannot do that. Hey, we've all done it at one time or another. That's dangerous. And you know why it's dangerous. You see, God says that living in the ways of the world, modern society, human thinking, and ideals, well, this is sinful. But the world's going to say, no, it's not. It's just humanity. It's the way things are. And God says, well, it's not the way things ought to be. I sent my son to change all that. And didn't he, though? And before that, he sent all the prophets to change it. And before that, he himself spoke to the very first humans on the earth about it. So God has had this message from the very beginning. Again, people are going to argue this point, but we really can't argue it. In fact, the only way that one is not sinful is if we get saved and stop sinning. Yet, if you're saved and stop sinning, that's the only way you're not sinful. So I have a question. Do you think that most people would say that not becoming a Christian is sinful? What do you think they would say? Do you think people would ordinarily say, if you took a poll amongst the whole world, would most people say that not becoming a Christian is sinful, or would most say it's not sinful? I think it's a fair question. So, do you think they would say that being a good person, whether they're a Christian or not, proves they're not sinful? I think it's very likely that a lot of people would say that, that I don't have to be a Christian, I can just be a good person, and therefore I'm not sinful. Does God say that? Clearly, no. God doesn't agree with that. God doesn't set that standard. Again, who does? Well, we can say the humans do based on their own logic, but who put it there? Who's the ruler of this society? Who's the ruler and the prince of this era? What did Paul just say in Ephesians? It's Satan. Satan's the one that does it. So if Satan determines it, is it real or is it false? Well, Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies, so you tell me. So if we're going to say that, we better be careful because the fact is God's the one that makes the determination. And so I began to think about that and I said, well, you know, what in our lives is wrong? I mean, seriously, what would most people say in our lives is wrong? 
Unless I'm a murderer, a thief, a cheat, a liar, a slanderer, or something of that nature, then I couldn't possibly have done anything wrong. That's what Satan wants us to think. That's what he spawns. That's what he sows. That's what he tells us. That's what he whispers to us. And honestly, that's what we believe. It's been going on from the beginning of time. He started in the garden with Adam and Eve. That's pretty early. And let's face it, friends, he hasn't stopped all the way up to now. And he's not going to stop neither. I mean, you know, even little white lies are normal. And they're certainly not wrong because they, they weren't meant with any harm. And yet God says otherwise. God says completely differently. Now, call me a prude if you want. Okay? You, you, you can call me legalistic if you want. You can call me a holy roller if you want. You can talk, call me black and white Dan if you want. But when it's black and white in the Scripture, I defer to God, period. This is not one of those things where it's open to interpretation. There might be some. I get that. This is not one of them. God says sin is sin, period. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, period. All peoples needed a Savior to reconcile them back to God, period. And it doesn't matter what you think, right or wrong, good or evil, or saved or unsaved, means or looks like to you. God says what it is. He's the one that determines it. And God says all sin is sin. In fact, he says we have sinned against God. We've transgressed against one another. And both are obviously sinful. So we need to just accept this truth right off the bat and get over it. Because God determines. Don't argue with God. You won't get very far. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Okay? God is God. Supreme. End of story. Now, here's another thing. All of us has the privilege of accessing reconciliation. The cross is named for what happened on that cross. It is called the cross of reconciliation, according to verse 16. Why? Because Jesus died, gave His life, and shed His blood for all people. Hebrews 2.9 and 9.14 and Romans 3 and 5 and 1 Peter 1 all tell us that this is true, and there's a lot more to tell us that. He also says that no one is turned away or ineligible. Now, there again, there might be some people that theologically disagree with that. Now, that one's debatable to a point, okay? But as I read it, I don't think so. All are worthy, all are accept acceptable, and all are eligible. So God wants to bring all people who will come into His kingdom to be reconciled to Him. It's offered to everybody. In fact, the depth of our salvation and our obedience is restricted really only by ourselves. That's what restricts it, okay? We determine by our own faith and our actions how many blessings and the depth of them that we're going to receive through His blood. In other words, the blessings you're going to receive and how deep they are really is up to you. Now, you may say, how's that? God determines it. Yes, He does. But God indicates that He will give you more and deeper blessings the deeper and stronger in Him you are. That, Jesus said, is your reward. In fact, He even told His disciples, get this, nothing would be impossible for you. I like that. I don't want things to be impossible for me. So when I need to call on God, I would like the full measure of what He has to offer and the full measure of His strength. Anybody else? So why give God a little when you expect a lot from Him? When you give God a lot, get a lot back. In fact, the Bible says, move closer to God, and what will He do? Move closer unto you. I like that. Good theory. And it makes sense, too. So, consider that. Secondly, 
Where and how are humans reconciled to God? Well, that's a good question. It, this, is a, this is a quick and easy answer, to be honest with you. The same place where he receives forgiveness of sins and redemption through his blood. That's where. Ephesians 1 tells us that. Basically, wherever and whenever we realize our need, we ask for forgiveness, which is important, obviously, accept his offer of salvation, repent of our sinfulness, and then turn away from it by being completely obedient to God. When you do that process, that's when and that's how you're reconciled to God. In fact, His Word and His commands, this is when, where, and how we're reconciled. When we are obedient to, his, to Himself, to His Word, and to His commands. That, friends, is when we're reconciled. And you can't be obedient to those things unless you ask for forgiveness because you recognize that you needed it. That's where reconciliation takes place. It's immediate, and it can be permanent if we desire it to be. Now, some people say it's not permanent. Others say that it is permanent no matter what. I don't, I don't agree with once saved, always saved. Our denomination doesn't believe in that. There's a lot of reasons why, and if you don't think it, it's up to you. I would simply tell you, look at the Scripture. It doesn't indicate that to me. Either way, what I will say to you is that God wants to keep you in salvation. And so people would say, well, is it easy to send away your salvation? I would say it's not easy if you're really saved. It's not easy because if you're really saved, you're going to desire to be godly and righteous in every regard. So if you're doing that, then chances are you couldn't lose it, okay? So something has to happen for you to lose it. So I think it's harder to do than sometimes we indicate that it is. Either way, in Christ we have some things. We have, first of all, according to Ephesians 1, we have all spiritual blessings, and I want those. We become His chosen ones. Uh, we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have salvation, according to 2 Timothy 2. And we have son and daughtership with God, according to Galatians 3. Now, friends, these are the benefits and the results of our reconciliation. And I don't think anybody wouldn't want those. So we are returned to the family of God, and those are the benefits that come with it. So when and how? Immediately upon our desire to have it. Thirdly, what does the New Testament identify as the body? I mean, who is the body of Christ, and how do you become part of it? Well, we talked a little bit about that last week, but I want to talk more about it this morning. Paul describes what the body of Christ is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, the church of God, which in Corinth, which is in Corinth, no, I realized that this was a local congregation in an ancient city a long time ago. And so the question is, well, is that the church of God? Well, it was at that time. And I suspect what he's trying to say is that any church that emulates or looks like that would be a church of God. And so, friends, what we have to do here is determine what should a church in our modern society look like? I mean, what would God say is a modern church that belongs to Him? Some people would say that, you know, if, if you don't use the King James Bible, then you're not a church of God. Well, that's, that's ludicrous. And I know there's people out there that are going to say, oh, yes, it is. No, no, it's not. Okay? In fact, the King James Bible isn't, in my opinion, a really good translation for today. It's not a direct translation, for one. It is, it is uh, paraphrased. It was originally translated in 1611. And I'll tell you that we have a lot better grasp of language and dialogues now than we ever did back in the 1600s, okay? So uh, understand that the King James was translated from the original Greek and Hebrew. A lot of people wrongly believe 
that the new translations were then translated off of the New King James. No, they were not. They were translated right back to the original Greek and Hebrew, just like the King James was. It's just done more meticulously with better understanding than it was back then. So when you think that, you research it, and you'll find that I'm right. Okay, so we have to understand a couple of things. What does a church, a modern church, look like? If it is a Bible-believing church from a translation of Scripture that is widely understood to be correct, okay, that's any modern translation today. None of them are wrong. Okay, none of them are wrong. I know that there's some older folks in older churches with older pastors are going to disagree with me. Well, again, <laughs> education is very important. Okay, so most people, most scholars would agree with me that that's not true. So a modern translation of Scripture, you got to be a Bible-believing church. You have to believe in the Trinity. Okay, again, people are going to disagree with that. We have churches in town here that don't believe in the Trinity. Well, the Bible says the Trinity is. So our denomination says so. So you got to believe in the Trinity, you got to be a Bible-believing church, and you have to be obedient. You have to get saved, you have to know that Christ died for you, and that He arose from the dead, and that one day we're going to be reconciled back to Him in the flesh, mind you, okay, with the new body we're going to receive. So you got to believe those things. That's what a modern church looks like. The problem with it is we have compromised some of those things in the modern church because we don't like what the Bible indicates we have to do. And so we want to modify what being a Christian is. We want to modify what Christianity looks like. We have to modify what some of the commands that God gives us are because we'll say that's not really what He meant. Well, friends, that's really dangerous because how do you know what God really meant? If He said it, then I think we know it. So it wouldn't be there if He didn't mean it that way. So that's a struggle for me. But I will tell you that Paul again describes what the body of Christ is. He says the church of Corinth was one of those places that was a church of God. But it wasn't the only one. There were others back then that also exemplified and emulated what the church of God should look like. Paul describes it to us in a manner that tells us what that church had and that churches that belong to the church of God today will have a commonality with that one. So he uses that first church in, in Corinth and says, if you're going to be a church of God, the things that they did, the things that they were, well, that's going to be the same even modernly today. You're going to have those things in place. So what are they? Well, let's take a look at how Paul describes it. He says, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So Jesus clearly has to be the central figure in any modern church today. Now, Paul says it's those who are sanctified. So sanctified is kind of a big deal. Being, being in sanctification or sanctified by God is a big deal. That means everybody who's in the church today is going to have to be sanctified in some manner. Now, you might say, well, what is that? Well, it begins when you get saved. That's initial sanctification. And then we have this progression toward entire sanctification, okay? Eventually, you can become entirely sanctified. It doesn't mean that you've arrived or that you're godlike. But it also does mean that your desire for sin is no longer there, and so you probably won't participate in it, okay? It's a definite second work of grace, just like getting saved, where God has taken out that carnality, He's ripped it out from you because you no longer have a desire for it. You've expelled it from your desire system, okay? So what happens in between there, between getting saved and this taking place? We call that progressive sanctification. And my pastoral staff who's listening is going to understand what I'm talking about. 
and I hope that you do as well. There's a progression because when you get saved, your life takes on a series of events where you're getting better each day to be more Christ-like. Some days are better than others, like it is for everything else in life. But that's how it takes place. You see, friends, after we receive salvation, we're all at different stages of sanctification. God requires that you continue to grow in your sanctification, to get deeper in it, to be stronger, to be better, until you reach that entire sanctification on this earth. And then, after you reach that, we continue being even more sanctified every day until you die or the Lord calls you home. In a nutshell, that's what it means. Now, sanctified and sanctification, these are important terms because they have the same root word as the word saint. Did you see that? The same root word in the Greek for saint. Therefore, God expects us then to be saints. Now, I look around and I look at myself in the mirror, and there are some people that I think are a little more saintly than others, and I bet you would probably agree with me that that's true. And sometimes when we're early on in our relationship with God, we wish we were more saintly like some of the older saints are, but that took time for them to get there. It took a desire here and here for them to get there, and it took diligence in the Word of God. It took letting the Holy Spirit have more control in their lives. But everybody can get there and become a saint. Saint eventually becomes sanctification. You understand? Sanctification makes you a saint. That's what we're all looking for. And it's important that we do it. And I think about all those in Scripture who were called saints in history. And I think we ought to compare ourselves to those persons. And so when you do that, what do you think the church of God really is? Now think about that for a minute. What do you think the church of God really is? Well, if you think about it carefully, it's a church filled with people who put God first, who completely love Him first, and who are absolutely obedient in everything they think, believe, say, and do when it comes to the kingdom. That's what being a saint is. That's what being sanctified is. That's what working on being sanctified is. That's what the modern church ought to look like. And to be honest with you, I don't think the modern church today looks like that. I think we have a lot of churches out there, and I'm not pointing fingers, and I'm not slamming churches, because if it happened here, I'd call it out too. And maybe it is to a point. I don't know. But I think we have a group of people who want to do the bare minimum of being a Christian and still gain all the benefits of heaven and the cross. It doesn't work that way, friends. God demands more of that from you. And if you won't give it, He's going to have something to say about that. And that's between you and he. I'm just the town crier here. I'm just bringing the message. I'm the messenger. That's all. And I'm telling you, that doesn't work in God's kingdom. It doesn't work for me. It won't work for you. So we're going to have to do better than that. Notice that this modern church is universal. It's everywhere. Why? How could it be? Because the people that make it up are everywhere. Paul says that it's in all of us, everywhere. If the Spirit of God is in you and you're part of the church, as we learned last week, then that church is universal. It, it doesn't matter what your uh, background is, what your language is, what your creed is, or what your nationality is. It certainly doesn't matter what your race is. So you see, friends, the church of God is everywhere all the time because the Spirit of God is everywhere all the time, and it's in us. That's what makes up the church. In fact, Paul says that because it's in all of us everywhere, we are those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you can call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then that means that you must be saved because people that aren't saved can't do it. 
unless, of course, they're doing it to ask him to save them. That's about the only thing he's going to hear from them, okay? So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not saved, asking him to do things in your lives, I believe the Bible indicates is going to fall on deaf ears. But if you're saved, then that's different. Now you can call it, and Jesus said, nothing would be impossible for you. So what about the person that's not saved but wants to get saved? Can they call upon him? Yes, and he will hear, and he will deliver that. In fact, the Bible says there's great rejoicing in heaven when they do. So we got to understand that salvation is mandatory. Sanctification is mandatory. And the deeper you are in it, the greater the blessing, the more God listens, and the greater your authority and power through the Spirit that lives within you. That's how this works. And there's no other way by which we can be saved. Again, because if you aren't saved, the Bible indicates that God doesn't hear you, unless, of course, you're calling on Him for salvation. Colossians 1.24 says this, Now I rejoice in what I am, am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. So what does that mean, friends? Well, does it mean that only members of the church of Christ will be saved? Yes, that's exactly what it means. And before we can answer that, though, we have to answer some other very important questions. First of all, who is the judge? <laughs> it's kind of obvious. God's the judge. Where can I read about the judge's decisions? Right there. God's the judge, and that's where you read about his decisions. Who is the Savior of the saved? The Bible says to me that it's Jesus Christ. And more than that, <laughs> I feel it in my heart because He's entered into me through the power of His Spirit. So I know who it is, even though I haven't seen Him. What does the judge state about the church and the saved? He says there's only one way you can be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. And there's a good indication whether you are or not by the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. So if you display those things, if you're completely obedient, and you don't compromise, and you don't listen to the ruler of this world and those who follow Him, then chances are you're saved. But if you do compromise, well, that's between you and God. But I think that there's a danger there. In fact, the Bible says that there is, so be careful with that. So when you find the answers to these questions, you'll not only answer the first question, you'll also understand it and you'll agree with it. Now, let me, let me help you understand that. Believers are never going to understand this, nor will they ever, ever agree with it. Why? H how could they? I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch talked to uh, Philip, and he said, listen, but Philip says, do you understand what you're reading when he's reading Isaiah? And he said, how can I? And then somebody explains it to me. Yeah. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not going to understand why God does what He does, what God does, and, and, and be good with it, because you're going to question everything. We are, are living in a society where we don't like authority at all. In fact, we reject authority. And it's getting worse and worse and worse, and it's not going to get better, by the way. Ask any teacher in any school, and they'll, they'll show that to you. Ask any law enforcement officer, they'll show that to you. Friends, we don't like authority. And God says, I am the supreme authority. I am every authority, the only authority there's ever going to be. And any authority you have, I gave you. So we have to get that in our heads, and we better write it here. Because if we don't, we're going to struggle right off the bat. Society is never going to believe that. Society is never going to understand that. Society is never going to follow that. But shouldn't the believers in Christ Jesus follow that? Shouldn't they believe it? Shouldn't they practice it? Yeah. And that's the difference. We understand. They do not. And if you start not understanding God, then chances are there's something in your spirituality. So that's where we have to start. You see, friends, 
Satan has fooled people right and left. We have to go back to the, our original truth. Unbelievers don't believe they've done anything wrong. They think if you're a good person, that's all that's required. Again, who determines that? Self, society, Satan, not God. So if you don't think you've done anything wrong, are you going to need reconciliation or forgiveness? No. And so you won't seek it. That's the point. Therefore, they don't believe they need to be forgiven, and they certainly don't think they need salvation. Why? Because Satan has fooled them to the point that they believe just being a good person in this world makes them a good person according to everyone, including God. But the fact is, who is the ruler of this world, and what does that ruler desire? He wants people to think, believe, talk, and act any way they want to. Now, he preferred that they think, talk, act, and believe like he does, but if, if he can't get them to do that, then do it in their own selfish ambition, their own selfish desire, their own self. And if they do that, that's good enough for him. Is that, that's contrary to what the Spirit desires. It's contrary to what God demands. He wants them to do this in any way and shape or form that they can as long as it doesn't emulate what God wants or it doesn't desire what God wants or it doesn't look like God does. This is why true Christians are the only ones who belong to the body of Christ. It's real simple. I can't put it any more simpler than that. So what does the only rightful judge say to us? Clearly, that's God. What does He say? He says in Matthew 7, only a few will be saved. Now, we're going to get more in, into that as we go into this sermon series on He said, what? <laughs> I think you're going to really like this one. Yes, He really said that. Only a few are going to be saved. He also says in Matthew 7, many will be lost. More than are going to be saved, I might add. He says in John 3.16 that only those who believe in Hebrews 5 and those who obey will be in heaven. Only those who believe and only those who obey are going to be in heaven, period. You can't compromise it. You can't plead with God for it. You can't bargain with Him. When He says it, He says it. Either you are or you aren't. And when Christ returns, you're either in or out. It's not that simple. Yes, it is. It's just that simple. He also says that unbelievers and the disobedient are going to be lost. John 8 and 2 Thessalonians 1. He says that the saved are added to the church, Acts 2.47. He says that Jesus will be present and He will present the church to Himself in Ephesians 5. He says that Jesus built one and only one church, Ephesians 4. He also says there is one and only one body, and that body is a church, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 5. That's what God says. That's what the ruler, that's what the judge says. Friends, this is real simple. Who needs to be reconciled to the church of God? Everyone. How do they need to be reconciled? Through Jesus Christ. When did it happen and who needs it? Well, gee whiz, that's pretty simple. When you realize your need for it, accept what He offers and take it. <laughs> and now you have responsibility to be the Christian Christ called you to be, not what you think it is, not what your friends say, not what your church seems to say. Look at the Word of God. If your church differs from what the Word of God says, you've got a problem. Leave it. Or go to your leadership and say, listen, right, this isn't, this isn't right. See what they have to say. Maybe you're just misinterpreting what they're saying. I don't know. But you better get it right because that's important. Okay? Thirdly, you have 
the responsibility to make it right with Him. Again, what He says goes, period. We have to be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. God has placed reconciliation in Christ that we might be made righteousness of God in Him, 5.21. To be in Christ, we must be added to the church, Acts 2.47. Having been baptized into Christ, Romans 6, and into His body, 1 Corinthians 12. The question is, are you in Christ? Well, you're not reconciled if you aren't. So if you want to be reconciled to Christ and you're not sure that you are, Friends, you're in the right place today because you're listening. You're hearing the message. Our altar here is always open. You can come here if you want. You can do it virtually where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in your car, in your house, if you're at your workplace. You can do what you need to do. Why? Because God is always available. He's always listening. And He's offering to you what only He can offer. He's asking you to make a decision for Him today. And if you've already made it, but you haven't really been a very good Christian and you know that, fix it right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to get through today and then start tomorrow to uh, start anew. No, you need to start anew now and fix it. God wants to fix it in you. His Spirit is here to help you. In fact, He's here to protect you when the enemy is whispering something else. Remember that? The enemy is constantly telling you, you don't have to do that. Did God really say that? That's what He told Eve. And she bit and listened. And God says, wait a minute, okay? I want to walk through the garden that I call life. And I don't want to be ashamed or hide from God because I know I haven't been what He's called me to be. God says, come near unto me and I'll come near unto you. I want that relationship with Him. And I can only get that through reconciliation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are today. We're grateful and thankful that you are who you say you are. We're grateful and thankful that you had the presence of mind and understanding that your people were going to need a Savior, and you sent one to us. And you did it for one reason, that's to save us and reconcile us back to yourself because you wanted to spend eternity with us. God, we all want that today. We really, really, really do. I know sometimes we think we can get to that by different means in different ways, but the fact is you said there's only one way, and that's through your Son. And you expect and demand our obedience in order to get it. Father, I pray that you will touch and bless us today as a congregation and those who are hearing our message this morning. I pray, Father, that in all things we would be reconciliated and have a reconciliatory tone toward you, that we will understand that you are the only way we can make that happen and that we can reap the benefits and the strength of those benefits based on our relationship with you. Be with us in everything we'll do. We thank you for the opportunity we had to share today and to communicate together through this wonderful technology we have. I pray, Father, you'll be with our governor and our president and those that make decisions for us. I pray, Father, you'll continue to work with those who are serving us in our, our stores and our medical community and, and the people that are helping us, our law enforcement and our firefighters. We pray, Lord, that you will be with our, the medical community is trying to find a cure and a vaccine for this, this terrible thing that we have going on. And in all things, Father, we pray that you would bear out the truth to us that we would understand. Help us to be healthy, safe, and spiritual in all things. We give you honor, glory, and praise because you are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, be safe out there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.